You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. To follow Jesus. And the adventure really just started there. Got married in 73. Started interning at a little church um, that was really growing in 1976. And then in 81, they asked me to take over just a brand new church plant uh, down in Escondido. Um, Got married in 73, had two beautiful kids. Um, God blessed us. Uh, We had 34 wonderful years of marriage. And then in 2007, the Lord took my first wife, Joyce, home to be with him. She uh, had breast cancer. And after about a four-year battle, um, she went home to be with Jesus. And, uh, And it was a year later when I turned the church over to one of my younger guys. And I, I think it's, I think I'm still in recovery, if you will. How, how many of you lost someone that you love? And, and you know the pain, the hurt, the, the depth of grief. I mean, we can, we can have, we know, can, we can know the stages of grief in our head. Yeah. But once you experience it, once someone that's a part of you is, is suddenly gone, um, you don't realize how much it shakes you to the very fiber of who you are. And some of us hide it for a while, but it eventually comes out. I internalized a lot of it. And about a year after Joyce passed, I was in and out of the hospital with major colon surgeries. And, you know, it's probably too much information, but uh, especially after breakfast. Um, But God was merciful. God was merciful, and he saw me through. And in 2010, I was blessed to remarry. And God, in his humor... In his humor, he brought into my life an active duty naval officer. It was a setup. It was a setup. Pastor friend of mine and his wife up in Yucca Valley, uh, Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel. Um, I, I had known this gal since way back in the 70s. She was in the high school group. I was pastoring the college group. I knew her brother. <laughs> her brother went up to Twin Falls, Idaho, and planted a church, planted a Calvary Chapel. She went up and followed him, married one of his elders. They eventually went out and planted a church in Buell, Idaho. And then Brett, her husband, got um, pancreatic cancer. And within a few months, he was gone. She ended up marrying the pastor of Calvary Chapel Joshua Springs in Yucca Valley, whose wife also had pancreatic cancer and died that same year. And that was the same year I lost Joyce. All of us knew each other. We'd been praying for each other. She ends up marrying (laughs) Gerald there at the Joshua Springs. And about a year after they were married, she sends me a Facebook message saying, so Pat, are you in a meaningful relationship with anyone yet? I'm like, what? (laughs) So I call her and she starts talking to me. She says, I've got this, you've got to meet this friend of mine. First of all, she's really beautiful. Now, Now you gotta understand, I'm 59 years old at the time. Last time I dated, I, I was 20, 21, 22, you know, and I'm trying to figure out what is this about? I said, well, she's really pretty. Oh, by the way, she's in the Navy. I go, oh, that's going to work. I can see how that's good. She's active duty Navy, I'm sure. Oh, and, and, and um, she's an officer. She's a lieutenant commander. No, no intimidation factor there. And then she says, oh, and she's a, she's a doctor. 
I went, stop it. You know, I just wanted to hang up. What are you messing with me for? Because that was a big joke with all my illness and stuff. You know, Pat, you need to marry a doctor. And God brought me a doctor. And, and when I get sick, she goes, you better call your doctor. Because <laughs> I'm your wife. Amen. But uh, we got married May 1st, 2010. Her name is Pamela. She retired from the Navy in 2012. And then she hired right back to the Navy and is working out of a little clinic about a mile from our house in uh, Chula Vista in San Diego. Uh, we presently fellowship at a church called Calvary Chapel Santee um, up, out in the East County of, of San Diego and just love it and are really blessed. Last six months, I've been helping a church in Arizona, uh, Calvary Chapel Maricopa. Maricopa is a, l- a little town about half hour south of Phoenix. Their pastor went off to the mission field. He felt a call to help out another church plant in Exeter uh, in the UK and they needed help. They didn't have a pastor in line. So they asked Poyman Ministries to come on in, and that's one of the functions we do for churches. We, we help pastors. We mentor younger pastors. We also help older pastors that are ready to, you know, it's time to transition, guys. Which is, and, and all of us have been through it. Um, but we also serve sometimes as what's called a TSP, a transitional senior pastor, where we'll come into a church and basically take the reins of it and get it ready and help them find a new senior pastor. And we've been doing that for the last six months, and we just brought a guy on two weeks ago, and we're really excited about that and that process. So I consider it a great honor to be serving pastors and serving churches, um, and it's just a real joy to be able to be with you guys here this morning. Um, I've, I've kind of vicariously been following what God's been doing out here in Paris, and particularly when Phil moved on up here, it was uh, just very, very exciting that uh, God would have him continue the work that he had called him to do. Uh, you, you know, Phil's a shepherd, and uh, he loves his sheep, and he's growing and learning right along with you. And indeed, it doesn't matter how long you're in church or how long you're in ministry, you're always growing and learning. If you think you've stopped growing and learning, you're either really stupid or you died. You know, that's, that's the only, no, no offense to anybody, I hope. All right, so um, I've got two kids, a boy and a girl, three beautiful grandchildren, all girls, a 13, 9, and 4. And I am smitten by them. They totally control their grandpa. That's okay when you're a grandpa. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much this morning for the time to be together, for the worship, uh, for being able to see one another this morning and uh, have some time. Uh, So many folks were just fellowshipping over coffee and, uh, and talking with one another and greeting one another. Lord, we thank you for that. Uh, Thank you that we have a church family that we can be a part of, Lord. And uh, we pray for one another right now, Lord. Uh, Pray for those that uh, maybe aren't quite connected with anybody yet. When you come into a church, uh, it's got rows and rows of seats, and sometimes it's it's hard to really get to know people. But Lord, we pray that uh, your love and your joy 
would just pour out through each and every person here. And, and the attraction would be uh, not so much personality, but your love and, and how you're working. God, we pray for that. Uh, we pray for each one that's here. Uh, we pray for those that might be here this morning that are hurting in, in other ways, Lord, that are, that are suffering uh, from, from either illness or loss or, or just confusion of where they're at in life. And in your mercy, just as you snatched me hitchhiking out from Chicago, um, you have a beautiful way of bringing people to a point of encounter with you. And God, we ask you for that this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all the servants here. Uh, we, we just want to thank you for all those that are serving the kids right now, um, all the people that are helping behind the scenes. Uh, Lord, it's, a, it's just, a, it's sweet. Uh, it's sweet as a family functions together. So Lord, guide us in your word this morning. We pray you would just quicken the things that you want to say to each one here, Lord. Uh, and we know whenever we study God's word, um, we had 250 people and we will have the Holy Spirit speaking 250 specific different things to each of our hearts. So give us ears, each of us, ears to hear what you're going to say to our heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, um, open them up to Mark chapter 2. If you need a Bible, the ushers are coming on up. Raise up your hand. They'll be glad to give you one. And uh, we're going to be in the second book of the New Testament and the second chapter. And we're going to start our study this morning at verse 23 and God willing go through um, verse 6 of chapter, of chapter 3. So um, just to get the kinks out, why don't we all stand for just a moment and we're going to read through the passage. And we're going to be starting at verse 23. Okay, so now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what's not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What a revolutionary idea that was to Judaism at that time. Therefore, the Son of Man, a term that I think he used about 80 times in the Gospels, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. I thank the Lord for that. That's such a freeing passage of Scripture. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. I'm not going to ask who has a withered hand this morning, but you may have something withered 
in your heart. Something a part of you that's not right and you know it. And so the Pharisees were all there. They watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him, that they might accuse Jesus. So Jesus says to the man who had the withered hand, step right up, (laughs) come right here, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? I like that. Just laid it out to him. But they kept silent. They couldn't answer him. And when he had looked around at them with anger and understand what kind of anger it was, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. That's what, God, that's what hurts God's heart, is a hard heart in those that he's come to set free. And then he looked at the man and he said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees rejoiced. You think so? How would you react to a miracle like that? But the hardness of their heart had them go out immediately and plot with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So this is what Jesus is up against. Let's be seated and we'll continue. As you've been going through chapter, chapter 2, Phil's been laying out several of the controversies that Jesus was facing that were arising because of him. I, and I, I see in chapter 2 and chapter 3 uh, just a beautiful demonstration of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And sometimes I think in church, and sometimes because of our church traditions, we can confuse that. Where, where people are reacting more to our church rather than to Jesus. Any of you experience that? You know what I'm talking about. So several things that we see as we go through the text, that, of chapter 2 and this part of chapter 3, and the most prominent was that Jesus came to save sinners. That's why he came. He didn't come to, to, to set up, his, set up his throne inside the temple. He came for people who were lost and in need of a Savior. Were any of you there? You know that. He came for you personally. It's not your membership at Calvary Chapel, if we even have a membership. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, because sometimes membership can be the big deal, right? You've got to be a member. And that can sometimes get in the way. But he came to save sinners. Uh, He didn't come to call those who were self-righteous. He came for sinners. And, and, And when he came, he came to bring not more tradition, but gladness and joy. We learn in the in the scriptures: the joy of the Lord is your strength. God has not given us that spirit of bondage against again, to fear, but he's given us that beautiful power and love and a sound mind that just lightens you up even more than that brother's forehead that was up here. And mine's getting close. But isn't that true? When you're, how many of you have experienced that with Jesus? His, his love has lit you up. And there's a joy in you that you didn't have before. 
And, and that, I think joy is sort of the outlet of love. If you go up to somebody and go, brother, I love you. <laughs> yeah, really? Okay, that feels good. But when you go to your brother or you go to your sister and you're joyfully really wanting to, be, to get to know them, really wanting to care for them, really wanting to help them, why would anybody want to help me? But that's what love does. That's how love reaches out. So he came to bring gladness, not sadness. He, sadness. he came to fill us with joy and celebration. He came to show, uh, to, to give us a full and abundant life. That, that, that new wine and new wineskins. And, that, and, and that, that's a beautiful process as God begins to fill us up. He came to meet needs and to do good regardless of human traditions, religious traditions. And, and like in chapter 3 opens up, Jesus is drawn to those who have the greatest need. It's important. Because you might come in here and you might say, I'm just one of a couple hundred people, but Jesus knows what your need is. And our prayer is that he would be speaking to you and showing you how much he loves you and how much he's able to forgive you. All you got to do is ask. And we find the, the last lesson here, I think, would be that he, he's grieved by hard hearts. So we've seen the, the, the healing of the paralytic, the healing and the forgiveness of the paralytic at the beginning of the chapter. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And Jesus said, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sin. And then he calls Matthew, the tax collector, you know, just not, not, the, not the guy you'd want to first have in your congregation. And he calls this tax collector, and they say, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Over there in verse 17, and he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I think we got two really important lessons that we have to get in our head of why Jesus came. He came to save, and he came to bring gladness. And then Phil last week was talking about the question, or two weeks ago, the question of fasting. And they're going, well, why, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your, your disciples don't? And Jesus said, well, the friends of the bridegroom don't fast, but they celebrate. And I really, you know, Jesus is with you and Jesus is with me. Remember, remember after Jesus rose and the the, the Jews started bringing, you know, Peter and James and John, and they were, they were arresting them because they were preaching in the temple in the name of Jesus. And, and, and I, I think one of, one of the comments there in Acts was they perceived, they, they were not learned men, but they perceived they had been with Jesus. Well, actually, they were making a mistake. They were thinking past tense. But the power that these guys had was because Jesus was alive and Jesus was with them all the time. It wasn't a past relationship. It was a very present thing. And, and I see that. I see that. I see God doing that. Even as we walk through this life, Phil, Phil mentioned that there is, there is need because we have this battle with our flesh all the time, right? And there are things that we have got to look at and say, I can't let that continue in my life. But how many of you tried that? Go, oh, that's bad. That's a habit. I can't, I can't do that. And then you really try and you like grunt and groan trying to, in your own strength, deliver yourself 
from the habit when in reality, you've got to go to the Lord. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we do have to quiet ourselves down, don't we? Sometimes we do have to still the distractions that are around. And I liked how he brought out that fasting for us now isn't just from food, but it's, you know, what's distracting you? I call it seduction by distraction. And we live in a day and an age where distraction abounds everywhere. Amen? I mean, I got my, I got my phone in my pocket. What's up with that? And I, of course, I'm here, and, I, and I've got to take a picture. You know? You know, because, because it's social media, it's there, you know, and I got to tweet it, and, you know, it's just what we do. But sometimes we can just be so caught up in the doing that we forget the living. We forget being who God wants us to be. And so there's this new fabric that the Lord is building in us. Um, and the new wine. There was something I, I read about the wine that I'd like to share with you, and it talks about how, um, I think this was Kent Hughes uh, quoted this, and he said, the new fabric which Christ brings cannot be interwoven with the tired fabrics of old religion. It will simply tear it apart. And Phil got into that last week. When Jesus fills the wineskins of our lives, the swelling life within stretches us to new limits. The inner pressure expels unneeded things and fills every aspect of life. Practically speaking, our old selves, which would include our previous experiences, our present level of growth, our intellectual formation, our cherished customs, our prejudices, the familiar and the comfortable. Is that a list? All of that, apart from Christ, tend to be old wineskins. So we need to allow Jesus to modify all those areas or we're going to burst. And if we burst, it's a mess, right? It just spills and all over the place. And you might need to do that today. might just need to pray This morning, Lord Jesus, take my intellect, my customs, my prejudices. Lord Jesus, take the familiar, the comfortable, and renew them to hold your wine. I want all that you have for me. God will hear that. God will answer that as you come to him with an open heart. So these clashes of religious custom bring on fatal collisions now over the Sabbath. And so it happened when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and and as they went, the disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And some of your Bible, if you got the old King James, it's saying it came to pass that he went through. The the word there is a word, though, that it's interesting. It means to come into existence. And I'm reminded back in Genesis, where the Lord said, let there be light. Light was already in the heart of God before he said it. He knew exactly what he wanted. And then if you were any of you that are artists, you already can see the, what you're going to create. And the Lord saw that, but he, he made it out of nothing. But it was very purposeful and very intentional. 
And when he, it says, and it happened, you know, in the New King James, it happened. It didn't just happen accidentally. It was purposeful. It happened, and he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So do you think Jesus was going through and go, oh, whoops, I'm in a grain field. Man, the guys might stumble out here. You know, we might get in trouble. Can, can any of you see Jesus doing that? And he goes out, and these guys are following Jesus, and they're loving Jesus. And, and you know, when Jesus is your Lord, uh, Sunday turns into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Amen? I mean, we don't walk with the Lord just for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We come here, we say hallelujah, and then we go out and be like heathens. That, that's not what God's called us to do. And when you're walking in the joy of the Lord, it's like every day is an interesting experience of what God wants to do in your life. And we get to celebrate it here together on Sundays. You know? Now, for us, it's Sunday. Sunday's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. This was the custom you know, that they had. Jesus, uh, Mo, God gave it to Moses, and there was a couple of restrictions that the Lord put on it, but the Pharisees had a great ability to break it down into so many little details, even to how long you could walk on, on the Sabbath day. And, and, and it became such a burden that the average person, there's no way they can do it, and the Pharisees spent all their lives trying to do it. You know, when they said all of these different little things, they became man-made traditions. That's not what God said. It's what they defined and what they thought God said, and they said, and, and usually when we do that, when we try to do that, we make it so that we can attain it. We don't make it something impossible. And so they began to be burdened constantly with this weight of having to be under the burden of the law. When the law was given to show us our need for a savior. What were the Ten Commandments given for? How many of you ever try to keep the Ten Commandments? And I'm not dissing the Ten Commandments. I'm really not. I love them. I love them. It's God's heart. His heart for our relationship with Him and our relationship with one another, right? But if I try to go through, you know, as, a, as a good Catholic kid, I mean, I, I had to go to confession every two weeks. I probably needed to go every day. But I went every two weeks. And I, I, I sometimes have, I even wrote out sometimes, well, I did that, this sin five times, that sin. That, you know, and then, the, and then the priest would say, okay, here's, ten, say, five Our, Our Fathers and ten Hail Marys, and, and you're good to go. And so I'd go out and I'd kneel down and I'd say them, and I'd act of contrition, and then I'm right back out starting my next list. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. It was... And, and I didn't under, really understand what the purpose of the commandments were. I'm starting to learn. <laughs> I can't do it myself. But when Jesus fills you, and he fills me, then we begin to do by nature, by our new nature in Jesus, what the laws commanded. We don't do them because somebody's pressing us down and saying, you better do this. It's like, I want to do this. I want to serve the Lord. I want to honor the Lord. 
I want to honor my mother and father. I don't want to kill. I don't want to steal. I mean, how many of you walk with the Lord and then you get one of those thoughts in your head, you know, and you start thinking about it? And then, then the Holy Spirit goes, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it just kind of grabs you and pulls you back. The Holy Spirit grab, I love it when, it, when, it, when it's on your heart. And, he bring, and why would that happen? Not because, oh, you better not do that because you're going to burn in hell. No, you don't want to do that because that's not your nature anymore. I think Paul the Apostle dealt with this all the time, and that's why he said, I die daily. Do you have to crucify your flesh daily? Mortify, therefore, the deeds of your flesh, the Scripture tells us. Do you do that just once? If, if, if it worked for you just once, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. But I think most of us, you know, we die to our flesh today, and then we wake up tomorrow, and guess what wakes up with us? The flesh it came back, wouldn't stay away. Came right back the very next day. And that's how the flesh is. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is greater than the law of sin and death. And he lifts us up. And that's what the Lord wants to do with you and I this morning. So this wasn't an accident. He's taking them through the grain fields. I got to think that the grain fields partly might be prepping them for, remember when the Lord said the fields are white unto harvest? And here they are going through a grain field and they're, they're, they're plucking the wheat and immediately they hit resistance. Have any of you experienced that in your Christian walk where the joy of the Lord in you begins to smack against the resistance of those who don't know, the, of tradition, sometimes religious tradition can smack you real hard. And you've got this joy, but people don't want you to be joyful. They want you to follow their tradition. That's the qualifier. And Jesus is saying, I'm setting you guys up for this. Uh, any of you ever tried to share your faith with someone? Um, and, and you know that just because you know Jesus and you speak Jesus doesn't mean that they're going to drop to their knees right there and tell me, what must I do to be saved? I don't think, I, I don't know if I've ever had that happen. You know, yes, I am a sinner. No, usually what you do, you're going against the flow, aren't you? And, and, and you're coming against the prejudices, the, 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 the traditions, the conditions, the cultures. And Jesus is setting these, the, his disciples up. This is what you're going to be facing. And that's why I think, he, I, I know that's why he gave them the Holy Spirit. Filled them and overflowed them. He said, you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in all of these crazy situations you're going to find yourself. In Jerusalem, where they just crucified your Savior. You're going to have power there. You know, in, in, in Samaria, where that's, they're so mixed up and don't really have, they don't know what they believe. In Judea, you're going to get resistance from the rest of Judaism. And then in the uttermost parts of the earth, you're going to deal with the Greek and the Roman cultures. So you're going to need power. And that power comes from the Lord. Not power to destroy, but power to love. Power to forgive. And God gives you and I that. So they give them all this grief. They couldn't handle these freedoms. 
And here we got an immediate real-life demonstration of what he taught concerning the wineskins. The wine he hoped to bring them burst their restricted skins and now laid on the ground with their broken lives. That hurt the Lord's heart. Let's, let's continue to move on. Um, he goes to, you know, the, the issue was this, the idea of reaping, and uh, they, they had figured out that somehow the hand was the, was the sickle. It was equal to the sickle. You know, when you slice through the wheat to, to cut off the heads of grain. But it's not what the law, well, it's not what the Lord gave in the law. And then he uses the description of David when he was in need and hungry. And he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, verse 26, and he ate the showbread and gave it to his gave it to the guy, his mighty men, the guys that were with him. And it wasn't lawful except for the priests. And so he's making this illustration. First Samuel 21, 1 to 6 is the background on that. Um, but the thing to note is that human need is more important than religious ritual. And he said to them, guys, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. God designed the Sabbath for us, or for, the, for Israel, and that seventh day for us is a day of rest, a day of rest from the daily pressures. Now, we weren't created for it, but it was created for us. And I love that. And, and just the way our bodies function. I mean, even, even heathens know they need a day of rest. They, ex- they expect to have it off every week, you know. So let no one judge you in food or drink, Paul wrote in Colossians 2, or regarding regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. And the second thing that was really important, that is if he, the very Lord of the Sabbath, was not offended by his disciples' actions, then these sideline critics should not have been offended either. So the new life Jesus brings can't be held in old religious structures or even old cracked lives. Jesus didn't come just to reform the old traditions. He came to give us new life. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a rebuild model. You know, he just rebuilt my engine. No, he gave me a new one. (laughs) He gave me a brand new one. He's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if you're to characterize your life in Jesus, is it an old, dried up, crusty, wineskin bag, or is it a new one? What's in your life this morning? What's dominating? The new life of Christ or the cold, sour traditions. I think it's important to ask that and to get that right. In the last controversy, we have Jesus regards their, Jesus answers their question before they can even say it. <laughs> he already knew what was going on. And they're setting them up, right? 
they, they knew it was the Sabbath, and they knew that Jesus was attracted to the one with the greatest need. So they get this guy that has the withered hand, and then they stand back and see, what's Jesus going to do? And so Jesus comes in, and, and he knows what's going on. You know, what didn't surprise him? So they watched him closely. Man, I don't want to watch Jesus with those kind of eyes. Well, let's, I'm going to watch this Jesus movement, this Jesus joy, and just see if it fits within my tradition. That's what they were doing. Whether he'd heal on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. How backwards is that? See, we're going to see if he heals them so we can nail them. Who's sinning there, you know? And so he says to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. He could have said, meet me around the back. I'll take care of you. But he knew, he knew what was going on. And he said, right here, right now, step forward. And the man did. And then he looks at these guys that are accusing in their heads and their hearts. And he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And they didn't have a word. And you know, since evil is at work every day, including the Sabbath, why should good not be working as well? Death is always at work, but that should not hinder us from seeking to save life. So Jesus asks, which is better, to preserve life by healing or to destroy life by refusing to heal? And again, it's ironic because Jesus is ready to heal and, while, and the Pharisees are plotting to put him to death. What's the matter you? <laughs> Lord, shatter any traditions that I have that might be keeping you from working in my life. And so he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. That's sweet. Maybe he's saying to you this morning, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your heart. You got something that's just a mess. And I want to touch it. I want to heal it. I want to bring you to know this joy of forgiveness. To know that your sins have been taken, all of them, by the sacrifice of the Son of God so many years ago. That God himself became a man. God himself inserted himself in a human body into this planet, this human race. And he inserted himself in the midst of this whole Jewish tradition. And he brought new life, new fabric, new wine, right in the middle of it. And it didn't just dry up after the first century, did it? Or the second, or the third. And here now we're in the 21st. Didn't think we'd get to the 21st. Thought Jesus was going to come back in 1984. And then 88. And somebody wrote a book, 89 Reasons Why God's Coming Back in 89. I think that was Harold Camping. Remember him? Billboards, all that stuff. And surely Y2K, that was going to do it. And now it's 2016. 
And I know that I am so much closer to that day when I'm going to see him face to face. And I still anticipate whenever we get together that we're going to be out of here. That the Lord's going to take us. But now being a grandpa, um, I'm understanding that God might not be quite finished yet. I remember back in the 70s, one of the bands there had a song that I think it was called Maranatha. And, uh, and they, Maranatha, Maranatha, the Lord is coming back, you know, can't wait for this to happen. Want this to happen. Probably mixing two songs here. But, but, but one of the lines was, but the Lord said, wait, there's still a few more souls to be saved. To just a few more, this story could be told. And in God's family, a few more it will hold. So that's what we're praying for this morning. (laughs) You know, that God's family would be increased today. So thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for opening your heart to God's word. And perhaps before you leave this morning, the Lord is going to do a fresh work in you. He's going to fill you. He's here. But he might be whispering to you, come right up here. (laughs) Step up. Now, I'm not trying to manipulate an altar call here, okay? But you know it. If the Lord's been dealing with you, you know it. So I'd like the worship team to come on up right now, if they would. And as, as, as we're closing with worship, I'd like you to just pray. Just pray and ask God, this, Lord, search my heart. As the psalmist said, see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, you didn't bring me here by accident. It didn't just happen. You had a purpose. You had this day in store for me for all eternity. I just want to bust out of my Hawaiian shirt here. It's not perfect Hawaiian. but So may God bless you. And may he minister to you now as we worship. And consider the love of Jesus for you. He came for you to save you and to set you free. What do you need to be set free from? <laughs> Pretty much everything. <laughs> Let's worship.